With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It is the weekender, Neil Atkinson, hosting the weekender this week. Uh, it's all go, to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I've got Johns, Gibbons and Toshak to come. Uh, I've also got a chat with Francis Malloy about her tired campaign. I've got Dan Hunt uh, joining us as well, uh, chatting away about Brazil, uh, the current situation in Brazil, Lady Tron, and the way in which footballers, uh, our Brazilian footballers, are perceived in Brazil and how the club is by extension. That has also come along with a conversation about Watford versus Liverpool, on top of which I've got our first ever weekender quiz based on football flash articles that's to come as well it is a packed weekend of show i love it when it goes this way uh, i am joined by steve graves ali mcgovern and melissa ready to firstly talk about where we are and then talk about watford but we'll do where we are first uh, steve graves all positioning sorry all football is positioning until it is winning or losing 12 games gone one third of the season the job for that third has broadly speaking defeated red star aside being done well for liverpool um but all it's been so far is positioning now it becomes about winning yeah, overwhelmingly so, and I think you know to an extent it's been said before, but it's been it's being forgotten how great a start this is. But it is just a start. You're right. It particularly given where we are, we're still in a packed field of you know field of three with a couple of hangers on that that can realistically say that they are in a title race, even though it sort of feels like there's only one side that that has the the conviction that they are actually going to win the league. Um, I think that. Certainly, I think that among the fan base, I think that among the players of of Liverpool, at least, there is definitely a conviction that they can. Um, posi- positioning, you couldn't be you couldn't be better placed, really. Um, well, Man City are, but you couldn't you couldn't be that much better placed. Uh, you, you, know, you couldn't have asked for more. I think everybody at the start of the season would have been delighted. It's been coloured slightly by performances, but just in terms of the raw numbers, the raw where Liverpool are right now. It's it's absolutely ideal. Um, looking ahead to a really really tough set of games, which feels weird because it felt like we said we've got this tough run of games and then we've got a decent one and then suddenly they don't look so decent anymore. They don't look so decent anymore, Mel. Uh, you can't win the league in the first twelve games. You can lose it, but maybe just maybe you can actually win it in the next twelve. This is this is that's certainly what Manchester City will be thinking. They can they they will be thinking they can win this league in the next twelve games. That'll be what's going through their minds at the very least. Yeah. The start is imperative because it sets you up for everything you can go and do. And I think for Liverpool, it was absolutely instructive that they stayed within touching distance of Manchester City. I don't think anyone expected City to have a massive tail off. People perhaps imagined that they may not reach the benchmark of uh, 100 points again, but no one thought City are suddenly going to be a non-entity in this title race. So the idea early on was to make sure that you are as close as possible to the pace setters 
as you can be. And I think Liverpool have succeeded in, in that aim. And it's been really interesting to hear Pep Guardiola talk because he continuously references Liverpool. I know he did a chat um, last night as well where he said, you know, I can't read books because I th- then I think about Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool and I need to focus again. And, you know, he City, for all their wonderful start and, and their brilliance and their underlying numbers being in a different stratosphere, are still concerned about Liverpool because it is tight, it is close and they could have, you know, two bad games or or something and then it's as real as, as anyone can imagine it to be. So I think for Liverpool... The positive thing is they've won games without being anywhere close to their apex yet. Whereas I feel Chelsea have been at their apex. I feel City have. City look physically at their apex, do you think, Mel? I think City look physically at their their peak. Yeah, I think their combinations and everything, it's just so rhythmic that I don't know how much further they can push it to. And I look at a lot of teams around Liverpool and possibly with the exception of, of Tottenham, who I don't think have played well yet, actually, really. I, I think everyone else has sort of hit their, OK, this is as, as good we can as we can be. I don't think Liverpool have done that yet. Um, I was speaking to John Gibbons, Alison, uh, earlier this week, and he, he used the metaphor of it feels like we've already run half of an 800-metre race and we've hit the bell, and yet it's still only November. And it, But it does have that sort of feeling of now it is going to kick on, and you're thinking, well, it's already pretty kicked, and yet it, it's so relentless, the, the, what, yeah. the demands. I'm not sure that metaphor is perfect, though, because like, like the Christmas period is so the meat of the, the, of the title race that um you know it's it's not really halves is it it's it's much more that um that these first games are crucial as I thought Mel characterized it well that you know you've got to keep pace but actually where often we've had this massive dip in the Christmas period it feels like this is the psychologically really challenging bit and are they prepared differently for this this year than what they have been in the past are we going to actually have a good January is the thing that is obsessing me at the moment. Um, and City definitely are worried about us. It's interesting. Um, I get to speak to quite a lot of Manchester City supporters one way or another, and they are a little bit obsessed. Um, and y- you can understand you can understand why. Although there's an excellent um, piece in The Times today by Paul Joyce about where actually City have picked up in terms of performance against the top six than in previous seasons and also like the other teams like they're not actually quite so collapsed as they were um from you know a high point of form than they were last season and the season before so we are in a really good place but I would say we haven't entirely escaped challenges perhaps that that we have had in previous seasons so I remain a bit worried about December and January. I think it's understandable being a bit worried, Steve. I think one of my my things is I'm still not sure how fit Liverpool are. I think it's almost fitness as much as it's anything else, and I can't quite work out whether or not we've ended up with a weird extended pre-season, whether or not we've got a strange situation where because the players' fitness may be more disparate than is normally the case for for elite footballers because the World Cup that's that's had a had an impact. I can't I, I can't quite put my finger on that. Whereas I look at City and it looks like as as Mel said before, combinations, rhythm, everyone looks in sync. Mm. You've got the there's the World Cup thing, and then there's players who came in who didn't have the World Cup, but then have, have picked up injuries um, like Kaiser 
so it's hard to sort of gauge exactly where they would like how fit would Kaita be right now if he was playing. You, you don't know. So and, and we don't know what he's going to come back as. Um, you know, and I think he got ninety minutes under his belt, hasn't he? Um, yeah. Internationally, so that that seems positive. Um, then you've got Fabinho. To what extent is it physical? To what extent is it a bedding in process? To what extent is it him not maybe 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 never fitting? We don't know. That thing about yeah. learning to play the game, I yeah. think takes longer than people think. Well, you know, the Oxlade-Chamberlain blueprint is there, but then that's a different player at a different phase of their career and, you know, with a different sort of fitness level. It, it, none of it quite maps across. It, it's, it's really hard to, to look at whether, for example, Wijnaldum and Milner starting the season, you know, looking as, as fit as, you, as you'd like um, is a sign that they are, that's just the way they've come in to pre, out of pre-season or whether it's a conditioning thing that the managers thought, well, I want, I know I want these two and, and probably Henderson to be my, my three and then Henderson's obviously had the knock. So, um, or whether that's been a case of then Fabinho comes in in November. It's impossible, I suppose, to say what, what is pre-planning, what is being worked out. I think the one thing that is right to say is that Man City look as a unit to be at their peak. Liverpool look like there are certain players who are at their peak and there are certain players who've still got more to come. And I think the big the big thing with say for example Spurs, Mel, you know, said they haven't they haven't hit their level yet. I'm not sure there's a yet for Spurs that's guaranteed. And I think Liverpool have got a yet that's there, um that's definite that, that Liverpool definitely can hit a higher level. Um and a lot of that is fitness and, and psychological as as Ali said. Um, yeah, and and the quality in the squad. I'm going to my, my navigator correspondent. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm of the view that there is no player, that Liverpool's key man, one of my key man is that it may not prove to be the most important in terms of actual output on the pitch, realistically, that'll still be Mo Salah, or it might be Sadio Mane. Or you, but, but I think the, the barometer player of the next 11 games, if you could offer me one guaranteed player will get his 8 out of 10 game from, Nine times in the next eleven, Mel, it would be Naby Keita. I think he's. I think this is going to become the stage of the season where he's absolutely integral to everything Liverpool do. Yeah, Liverpool need him to be that that sort of player. Eight, nine out of ten, because I think a lot of Liverpool's issues in in not looking quite themselves yet has been the midfield conundrum, where we now changing formation and sacrificing Roberto Firmino essentially and Mohamed Salah at his best, because we aren't being able to create enough from the midfield area. We don't have a line breaker. Um, we don't have any sort of dynamism. We have players that are tireless and, and you know, want to put in a shift and want to be disciplined and, and all those really important things. But the Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain-sized hole is mm. impossible, I think, to fill, even for... For Nabi Keita, but he's got similar characteristics, and it's the characteristics that that the squad is badly in need of, because Liverpool only look like they come to life when they do have a player who's willing to take a risk, you know, to chance things, to move the game forward. Like Jordan Shakiri, it's it's no coincidence that he's been so decisive in the games he's played because Liverpool are geared and are, and are desperate for what he offers. I think it will be the same for Cater. He's obviously, you know, come into a new league, doesn't know the language, so, you know, grasp of, of commands and, and just settling in into a completely different environment. He could, you know, go out all the time in Leipzig, not as in go out to a club or something, but, you know, go out for food. It, it was very chilled. Can't really do that here, living in a suburban area, whereas there he was living, like, just off the city centre. Um, has Sadio Mane obviously to help him but 
Sadio's got his own life going on. So, and then he has this injury um, during the settling in period. So it's not been easy for him, but I think, you know, he'll be genuinely determined to make a big impact because I can, I think when you're sat on the sidelines, you can tell when you're watching what, what's needed. And if you're a player like him, where you, where the signs are telling you, I'm the missing yeah. piece in what's happening right now, I think that will inspire. That And that frustration must create a desire that, you know, is going to school him in how Liverpool are playing, how they want to play and therefore where he slots in and what he does when he gets there. Yeah, the the key thing I I think for for Klopp is to find a, a balance in that midfield, and at the moment he can't do it because he doesn't have the one. He's got a lot of players that are are similar, Fabinho aside, but Fabinho still Fabinho still learning. He, he plays best in that double pivot with Wijnaldum. I'm not really sure it serves Liverpool well to have a double pivot, um, especially if our chance creation and, and stuff is suffering because of it. In most games, we actually don't need a double pivot because we're playing against sides that don't have the the enthusiasm to actually attack us. Um, so Cater's introduction will change how many things he can do, whether it be, you know, personnel-wise, formation-wise, or, or just switching things around. And I think that's important. I think it's important, especially for the front three who who need to catch fire and who haven't really because they've not been getting yeah. enough service. I think the thing Cater could do for him, Steve, is he can help him do that during matches as well without mm. necessarily having to change it from the bench. I think he looks like the footballer who's most likely to be able to, to go through the gears for Liverpool. Yeah, and potentially go through the gears, go through positions and, and you know move around and you know potentially featuring the front three or a pop-up in the front three, I think, more importantly, I suppose. I think we saw a little bit of that in the, the West Ham game uh, that he, he was linking up well with, with Robertson. Um, I think then you saw him play a bit more of a traditional kind of midfield role at Palace. And that's really the sort of, from there, I think, you know, you, you saw his performances just just on the edge of not, you know, of, of, of dropping off. And, and, and so they're probably the... The two games that that you could judge him as, you know, playing at something like is eight out of ten. Maybe it was probably more of a seven at Palace. Um, I think you are hoping that he can play exactly as much. I mean, you know, you could theoretically start him in in something like a, you know, alongside another, alongside a holder. As it's not describe him as a holder necessarily, but he could then step forward from there and, and surprise teams. And I think that's something that we're maybe lacking a little bit. You sort of think you see Fabinho coming from, from quite a way off if he decides to sort of venture forward, whereas Kaita perhaps can pop up a little bit more in, in unexpected positions around the pitch. And I think that helps him and it helps the players who like Firmino who, who are more flexible and those kind of players who, who also like would say, you know, don't have a sort of fixed position. Um, so to increase that fluidity, so you've got four or even five players who can be pretty fluid in attacking areas, then, then that can only help. We need to speed up the play. I think one of the issues is when we have possession. God, it kills you. Yeah, we're yeah. holding it for so long because there's not enough movement. There's not enough movement because there's not enough anticipation that a ball is going to come because often it's actually not. And the point I'll always make is when Shakiri gets the ball, you see the difference in the players. They yeah. are moving because they know he can play the ball. I mean, I think yeah. it's, um, you know, the midfield has become 
the thing to you know for people to to pick up on because it's the sort of thing that's not quite it's not nine out of ten. Whereas everything else, it feels like goalkeeper defence and attack looks sorted. I think there is a lot to be said for this midfield in the way that they have kept us pretty steady. Mm. I think that provides a platform for a player like Cater to come in. You would say to play alongside you know two from three of Henderson, Milner. Vinaldum, it's a, it's a dream, really. You know, surely it, it, you look at those those players. You come and you look at how Vinaldum's helped Fabinho for a start. Um, it's they're, in no they're way players a crisis. that you would love to play alongside like, as a midfielder like him. Surely, like in the way that once Steve was just saying, like in the way that once our you know defense was in a bit of a crisis. It's in no way a crisis, but that's definitely where the capacity is. Yeah, I mean, Kevin up. Stewart's not going to be playing. You know, this, 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 yeah. we're not in that position where we've got players like that just having to hold down a position because we've we've kind of come to the end of our, our options um, or even you know someone like sort of later period Lucas a massive fan of Lucas we've got players who the managers had and kept either signed or kept because he really likes them and um, I think Cater comes in to add to that and I think that is a, a great platform for him he does Steve but I think I'm wondering if we're already at the point where the, and it could be the pressure of the season the pressure of the pace City put down whether or not the managerial lads I trust Whittle which you see year in, year out, has almost started early. It seems traditional we end up with 14 no matter what. We always say, oh, it's like he's only got 14 who he trusts. But you are sort of looking here at one goalkeeper, uh, five defenders, Lovren, Alexander-Arnold, Gomez, Van Dijk, Robertson, five midfielders, Henderson, Wijnaldum, Keita, Milner, uh, Fabinho, um, who's, who's paid 40 million quid for, so we'll, mm. we'll include him in the list. And then four forwards, Mane, Salah, Firmino, Shaqiri. You I mean, am I being harsh? Possibly a little bit. I think... I think the Lalana thing is interesting in that while so he doesn't make the bench in the last game, but but before that, when he's had opportunities to bring Lalana in, he's pretty much taken them, or he's he's had him at least in and around. I think you know as a as a character, as a personality, as a figure in his dressing room, and as someone who sort of interprets or has at the early stages at least interpreted what he wants on the pitch. I think he does trust him. You know, I think in in lots of senses, and I think that. If you're in a position where he, he has to use Lallana, I think that's something he'll be be happy to do. Um, beyond that, there's players. I mean, you know, he's, he's kept Moreno for a long time, and the problem is that Robertson's just going to keep him out of the, the position. I think as much as anything, it's it's just the sheer quality of the players as much as the sort of trustworthiness, if you like. But, but it's also the demand. It's the idea that well, lads, we've got 11 games coming in, and we could really do with winning nine off. Yeah, do you know what I, I mean, as lads, if we can if we can pick for nine out of 11 of these games, then yeah, I think I think that's pretty much. You're 14. I don't think there's, there's there's many others, but I don't think there's many that he doesn't fancy ever giving a chance to. You know, from Solanke down, I don't yeah. think there's there's footballers in well, there now yeah. that he doesn't and, ever want to see. And, and instincts matter when the games come thick and fast, and you've got to um, you've got to have a reliability. Then that those instincts that people learn from each other they really matter and they do count. So whilst you know you could say like the the 14 lads that I trust. Thing is maybe you know maybe restricts opportunities for others or something from a practical management point of view day I to day think, yeah it's understandable it's like there's there's a level of more and more I think in football there's a level of game management and game knowledge that people are having to figure out in how a team plays not individual players and how they play and their skills but how that team is supposed to play and I just can you can see how the, the marginal effort for each individual is less they more, the more they do it, if that makes sense. So, the, re the reality of the situation as well is that Liverpool are in a title challenge here with 
a beast of a team in in Manchester City and and a Chelsea side as well that that won't really go away. I'm going to park the others because I don't think Arsenal and and Tottenham will do enough to threaten the three that I've I've mentioned. And it's very difficult, I think, if you're in that position where you have to pick up maximum points in every game to start thinking, oh, Dominic Solanke, you know, um, yeah. here's, nice here's your the opportunity. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it becomes so difficult. I think the issue... I'm really looking forward to Solanke at Burnley, though, Mel. <laughs> you best give me Solanke at Burnley. I want a horrible team at Burnley. Liverpool have an issue at the moment with, you know, what happens with Daniel Sturridge, Um with with the FA allegation hanging over him, how he responds to it, how that progresses, because, I mean, you go from a position where you have an established and a proven finisher at elite level, a guy who, you know, if chances fall in the box, he's, he's going to bury it. Also, who now can, you know, operate as, as a playmaker. His vision of passes is incredible, which you need sometimes at the end of these Games where you know teams are teams are defending quite deep, you're still looking to break them down. You've gone from that to you know Dominic Solanke, who's not in rhythm because he's not getting opportunities. No, he did well on international duty, but that's you know a completely different uh, environment. So that's going to be interesting to see how they manage it. The the Lalana thing for me, um, I think we've noticed sometimes there's been like a dovetailing between him and James Milner. One always like Lalana started really well. Um, and then Milner at, towards the end of the season, Lalana dropped Milner peak. That was like 2016, 17. They always have these inverse of seasons. I wonder if we'll see that happen again because Lalana still not sharp, um, probably needs to feel complete confidence in his body again. But, but he then possibly also, needs time on the pitch, Mel, which I don't see how he gets off what you've just said when you yeah. started this. And that's sort yeah. of my wider point, is that if you've got to win nine games out of 11 minimum, you're not really in a position to start saying, well, have a little bit of this, have a little bit of that. Let's get yeah. you in rhythm. Let's take a bit of time over you. Yeah. There's no project time here. None of these lads can be projects anymore. Know, but then with the schedule, you have to. You have to, have to, have to rotate. No matter how much of a title race you're in, no matter how much you can't drop points, because you risk then injuring one of your or several of your most important players, yeah. which is much more diabolical for, for the state of and affairs. And arguably that, what, Nakados last season? Yeah, it, you know, you have to take risks somewhere and it's not that much of a risk if you're... I, th- I think when you rotate, the combinations are important because if you put a slow midfield out or a, a slowish team out there, including Adam Lalana, that's not going to do Lalana any favours or Liverpool any favours because that doesn't work. But if you have quite an energetic, rapid team and he's, you know, added into the equation, then it's different. So I, I, I think rhythm and rotation, you can't separate them, especially during the festive period. It's just how you balance the two of them. And I think... We've got a, a better squad to do it with now than we have had previously, especially with everyone coming back from injuries. No one's out long-term nope. apart from... Apart from the, the actual long-term yeah. absentees, absentees. I think so. Lallana, you can, you can probably get him... You can get him something in sort of 30s, 20s, maybe, you know, 20, 30, 60, 90, maybe. is kind of the kind of pattern you see him playing games. Um, as, as it, it's great. He's great... 
at sort of finishing games for you, whichever way you want them to go. I think if you, particularly if you, you're seeing out at quite a big game, I think the manager looks him to do that in the past as well, even when he'd been coming back off an injury. Um, so I think that, you know, that there's probably just about enough scope for him to pick up games without more necessarily being starts and, and to get those minutes in his legs. I think you do, there isn't project time, but there is the scope. And I, I don't see us winning the league without there being some of those sort of, remember when he did that kind of moments. Yeah, agree with that, that completely. Like, you know, when Slanky came off, came on for the last 20 against United and, and dominated them. Or you remember when even Origi came into a game and, and, and changed it in some way. And I think he maybe had a little bit of sort of a thought of that at Red Star that that might happen and it didn't. But um, th- there's going to have to be some of that, I think, somewhere. You know, even a, a Curtis Jones getting thrown in, you just don't know. But um, we're not... We're not Man City, so we're probably not equipped quite to do it without those mad moments. Couldn't agree I'm all more. for them. I'm all for them as well. Uh, let's, let's, let's pick them wisely. Um, I'm, I, I can't stop picking Merseyside Derby winners. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I'm like at the minute. Uh, coming up, we've got Francis Malloy uh, talking about the Tide campaign. We've got Dan Hunt talking all things Brazil and Lady Tron. Uh, and uh, coming up straight after this, we've got Johns, Gibbons and Toshak 1-0. It's our first football flash quiz. Neil Atkinson with Lizzie Doyle, who's written the questions. Lizzie, how are you feeling about having written the questions? Oh, I'm a bit apprehensive as to, to how... I feel like I'm very responsible for if people win or don't. Well, you are, yeah, as the questions. Well, as the I question know I am. Master. I, I really want people to win, but I can't make it too easy. Right, so, so I've got a, I've got a line, you know, to, to sort of tread on here. Well, the, the, the prize is going to be some article of merch. I'll be really honest, we're making this up as we go along here at the Anfield Wrap, which is the way we start most enterprises. Uh, Darren Warren has willingly submitted from Yeovil to be our first guinea pig, I suppose, or to be the guinea pig for, yeah. this, for this first quiz, Darren. So thank you very much for that, indeed. Um, but just before we get stuck into it, um, are we going to beat Watford? Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm confident I am, yeah. I think, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting in the team selection after the international break and see if, it, you know, a big Christmas run, see if he changes anything. But I think if he goes strong, we should beat him. I've always scared Troy Deeney. He's a bit of an animal, but I think we should beat him. Excellent. All right, good, solid. Uh, I love the I love the optimism. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll listen to what everyone else thinks. I'm going to ask you ten questions. If you get eight of them right, you're going to you can win an article of Anf- Anfield Rap merch. The idea of free merchandise is something which will be making John Gibbons somewhere cold sweats. Will be breaking <laughs> out as he protected so much. It's ridiculous. So, but this is the all these questions are based on football flash articles. That's where we've got it all from this week. Uh, so you can get your okay. Liverpool news from football flash. Uh, so, question one: Who battered? Liverpool under 23, 7-0 last night. Oh, um, Billy Royale. Great. One out of one. We're flying. We're on the march, Darren. <laughs> Second start, question. Yeah, great start. Which Dutch Liverpool uh, player scored in the last minute for Holland on Monday night, sending them through to the Nations uh, League final? Big Verge. Big Verge. That'll do. And next one. Which Liverpool fullback has been linked with a loan move to Cardiff City today? I didn't know this until I saw oh. this, but I've been very busy in my defence. Go oh. on. Um, fullback? Um Oh, Moreno? I doubt it, but I'm going to say Moreno. Maybe, maybe you're going to have another. You're going to have another go. Just, just think of the uh, other irrelevant one, sort of. Uh, think of who? Sorry, the other irrelevant one. Oh, hang on. Oh, my mind's gone blank now. Um, oh, oh, it's not Flanagan. Is it Rangers? Uh, I don't know, Neil. Okay, no problem. Nathaniel Klein. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. It's All interesting. Right. I didn't know myself. I haven't been on Football Flash today. I had no idea. Um, next one, four. So you, you've, you've won down, but you've still got some room for manoeuvre. What premium okay. will Barcelona have to pay if they want to buy a Liverpool player in the next two seasons? Oh, oh so if they want Moreno, it'd be 108 million. <laughs> it would indeed. Uh, next yeah. one is what score did the England versus Croatia game end up on Sunday night? 
Oh, what's that? Um, 2-1 to it, England. It was indeed. We're flying again. Which two Paris Saint-Germain stars are rumoured to be injured ahead of the, our clash with them next week? Yeah, we're a bit sceptical about this. Um, 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 Mbappé and Neymar. Brilliant. Uh, excellent stuff. Um, who left his role as Republic of Ireland manager earlier this week? Oh, oh God. Um, uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, ex-Villa of Sunderland manager. Um, Martin O'Neill. That's right, Martin O'Neill. Brilliant. Uh, brilliant stuff indeed. Uh, there was a Gareth Southgate-inspired clothing item released this week. What was it? Oh, is it a Christmas jumper? It was. <laughs> what an answer. It was. We're absolutely <laughs> flying here. Uh, so you've got one more. Uh, if you get one more right, uh, let me just double-check. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So you've got two more questions. You've only got to get one of them right, and you've won the piece of Anfield rap merch. The first one, then. No, no Mo- pressure. Mo Salah's Egypt played which African side on Friday night? Oh, they won last minute, didn't they? They um, did. He scored. Oh, yeah, he scored the last minute. Oh, who was it? Um, I'm going to guess it's Zaire. It wasn't. It was Tunisia. So, oh, key okay. one. Which Chelsea forwards announced his retirement this week? Oh, it is. Yeah. That's eight out of ten. That's gone well for you, that Lizzie. You Happy made up, aren't you? I'm just relieved more than anything. I did say to you, I said, Lizzie, can you write us <laughs> a quiz where they should get eight out of ten right? And, li- and, he's, and Darren has literally got eight out of ten for you. I've hit the nail on the head. Bang, Thank a- you, bang average. <laughs> <laughs> Not bang average. It's what we were all aiming for. Listen, uh, we'll get that piece of merch to you, Darren. Uh, we'll get that sorted in a minute or two. Thank you very much indeed for doing that. Uh, no, no problem. Thank you. No, no problem at all. And uh, all those questions were taken from Football Flash articles this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we will keep uh, toying with the quiz and working it out as we go week by week. Uh, we'll get back over with the rest of the weekender. It's John Gibbons from the Anfield Lab. I'm delighted to be joined by John Toshak, um, who's here to talk about his book, My Journey Through Football. And for younger fans or newer fans to Liverpool Football Club, just to introduce them, John signed for Liverpool in 1970, made... 172 appearances and scored 74 goals. He joined for the club record fee. His honours included winning the Football League three times, the FA Cup and the UEFA Cup twice. And also had a long and illustrious career as a manager, um, most notably achieving amazing, amazing things with Swansea City in his first job before being attracted by many of the big jobs abroad, including Real Sociedad a few times, Real Madrid and also managed Wales. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, John, because quite often when I interview Liverpool players, I always say, oh, let's just concentrate on the Liverpool bit. But, I mean, your career is so, so wide and so interesting. It's always, I always kind of want to skip past it. Yeah, well, that's why we did the book. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 it's the first one you've, you've done. It's no, taken a while, is it? Well, no, I've done, a, I've done a few books, actually. I did a Christmas annual when I was a player at, uh, at Liverpool. Uh, I did a book in Spain as well. Something that the first two years, uh, uh, Diario del Galais, you call it, a, a Welshman's diary, okay, a, a daily thing of the two years in, in Real Sociedad. Um, we won the cup for the first and only time in the club's history, so it went down very well at that sure. particular time. And, and there was another, uh, there was another autobiography uh, after the Swansea success, you know, in eighty two, eighty three. Uh, but this one, this one is obviously is is a complete, and um, it covers from from my debut in November 1965, uh, right up until now, 53 years, 53 years later. So uh, the way I feel at the moment, I don't think there'll be another book coming out. <laughs> I mean, you you mentioned that debut there because. 
I mean, you achieved so much in your career, but in a funny way, you achieved almost everything you wanted to before you were even 17, scoring for Cardiff, who was the team you used to go and watch. Well, Cardiff was my club. Obviously, I used to, I used to, I lived about 20 minutes walking the ground. I'd walk to the ground and watch them play. John Charles was a, was a hero of mine, really. I was probably responsible for me wanting to play football. And... Uh, I was fortunate enough to play a few reserve games with him when I was 16 years old and John was just finishing at Cardiff. But no, Cardiff City was my... I always had it quite clear in school what I wanted to do when I finished. You know, my parents were pretty insistent that I kept at my school work, you know, but I wanted to play football for Cardiff City, nothing else. And uh, I, managed, I managed to do it, as I say, as a 16-year-old. And those days, Cardiff, by winning the Welsh Cup every year, played in European competition. So it was a great thing for me. Before I came to Liverpool as a 20, 21-year-old, I'd had four years' experience of playing in European competition. And so that was important as well. And a lot of clubs had a look at you. It was eventually Liverpool who managed to persuade you to join. You dedicate the book to Bill Shankly. He's someone who who comes up a lot, generally, you say you think about him a lot. Um, I mean, a lot of people, we all think we know about Bill Shankly, you actually did. What is it about him that instantly attracts you to Well, I think that, I mean, uh, all, all the players, all of us at that particular time, uh, we were signed by by Shanks, Kevin as well, you know, but, uh, and, and, and we just hang on every word that he said, you know, I mean, for us, if we asked him to run through the wall, we'd do it. Or if he told us this was going to happen, we, we, we believed him. And he was Liverpool at that particular time. I mean, not just us as players, but supporters and, and people everywhere. Uh, I think everybody was just grateful for what, what fantastic job he did at Liverpool Football Club. Um, he changed the ground. He was so proud of, of Liverpool, of the people of Liverpool way he wanted his football teams to to play, you know, and uh, I mean I was just very, very fortunate to leave to leave Cardiff at an early age and uh, to come under his guidance uh, at twenty one and, and and be able to watch and learn things that stood me in good stead um, later on, you know. Uh, very, very privileged. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned sort of Kevin Keegan there, and we interviewed him recently as well. And both of you have had amazing careers at, you know, with Liverpool and away from Liverpool. But I mean, he's, I mean, Kevin still talks about Bill as someone who, yeah. who taught him, you know, almost how to be a man as well as a footballer. Well, he did. I think that, that Kevin was 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 Shanks, <clears throat> obviously, and Kevin had on every word that, that Shanks said, obviously. When he came there, first of all, I can remember I can remember him coming down from from Scunthorpe and was originally signed as a midfielder to play in place of Cali, you know. But Cali, being the stubborn bugger that he was, played on for a couple more years, and Kevin found a niche further forward uh, alongside myself. And I I can remember clearly Shank saying to him, you know, pre-season. Uh, would you like to play in the first team, Kevin, on Saturday? Oh, yes, boss, yes, please. And he threw him straight in against Nottingham Forest up front with me. 
we conjured up a goal between ourselves after 10 minutes, 12 minutes, and, and we were on our way. And strangely, nobody told us how to play or, or what to do. John, if Kevin goes there, I want you to move there. Kevin, when John moves there, you go there. No, no, no. I can see myself going up now with the head balls and hear him running past me saying, anywhere, Tosh, <laughs> and go up with a smile on my face and flicking it on and knowing that he would be on the end of it, you know. So we just went out and, and played. And Stevie Highway was a very, very important player for us. You know, I think between the three of us, we had virtually every aspect of attacking play. If, if Kevin and myself were having difficulty getting through the middle, we knew that Stevie out wide could get the better of the fullback. The fullbacks were, were getting the better of Stevie than Kevin and myself. It was very, very difficult for defenders to stop the three of us. And um, when people talk about uh, Keegan and Toshak, uh, I think they should say they should throw highway in as well, um, because as I say, we were we were three attacking players who had pretty much everything between us. I mean, with your you've obviously you've got a lot of experience now, a lot of different types of football. So maybe your best place to kind of look back on that time at Liverpool and why why it was so successful and what made it you know, so successful because as you say it wasn't necessarily over coaching and over telling you what to do well I, I think at that, that time the 60s team was finishing and, and Shanks decided right we've got to uh, we've got to turn this round and bring new people in and Jeff Twentyman the chief scout was very very important to Shanks you know uh, he was the one who went around scouting these players and looking for them and you, you saw Clemens come in goal from Scunthorpe. You see Larry Lloyd come from Bristol Rovers. Alec Lindsay came from Bury. I came from Cardiff. Kevin came from Scunthorpe. You know, Ryan Hall and Stevie came from Nonley. None of us came from top first division or premiership clubs. We all came from teams down in the lower league and we were pieced together like a jigsaw puzzle by Jeff Twentyman and by by Shanks, you know, no big fees from, my fee was 110,000, it was a record at the time, but I was at Cardiff in the, in the second division, you know, as it was then. There were other teams looking or whatever, but I mean, they haven't gone out and paid the, the, the millions and millions of pounds for, for foreign players or f from top clubs elsewhere. No, no, we were all from lower division sides. The first division was a step up for all of us. But we all came in together, and I, under the guidance of, of Shanks and Bob, we, we went on to win uh, trophy after, after trophy. A big setback the first year, when we lost the championship in the last match at Arsenal. And, but, uh, but after that, the 72-73 season, did the double, the, the UEFA Cup, which was difficult to win mm. in those days, the old UEFA Cup was tougher than the, the European Cup. You know, in those days, in the European Cup, only one team went into it. The UEFA Cup was the second, third, fourth, the best, the best teams around. So the FA Cup followed, and then after, afterwards the league championships and, and whatever. But we had, that, uh, we had that setback of the defeated Arsenal on the last day of the season. Um, 
we just spurred us on and we went on from there and there to to win trophy after trophy. Big shock to all of us when Shanks finished in 74. But Bob took over and uh, after a difficult first season, won everything, everything in sight. I mean, you mentioned Shanks leaving there. I didn't realise until I read the book that you nearly left soon after, um, nearly went to Leicester. I, well, I signed for Leicester. Um, I was having difficulty. Uh, they'd signed Ray, Ray Kennedy, Razor had signed from Arsenal, was playing out front. Kevin had got this ban from the charity shield game when he was sent off against Leeds and was banned for six matches. And Phil Borsman went in with Kennedy. Um, I'd started to get trouble with this injury after the 74 Cup final. And Borsman and Kennedy just went in and hit it off. Liverpool got off to a superstar with, with Bob, you know. And I played the odd game with Wales. It was frustrating for me for one reason or another. And I forced a transfer through, really. Leicester came in, agreed to pay 160000 I think it was. And I failed the medical exam at Leicester. And that really was a key, key moment for me. Fortunately, I still had a year's contract at Liverpool. So I had to really knuckle down. I saw the specialist and it wasn't good to think maybe, you know, another year or so. I was swimming pool, the Adelphi Hotel twice a week, short, sharp stuff. I couldn't do the long running, short, sharp stuff. Managed to get back into the side. And I remember thinking, John, you know, if you're playing with Keegan and Highway, and you can't do something positive, then there really is something wrong with you. you know? And I worked my way back in, scored goals, important goals. Uh, Kevin, you know, we hit it off playing together. Uh, and the following year, I managed 27 goals and played 45 games or whatever. After being told by specialists that, you know, You've had it. So they take x-rays of your ankles, your knees, your limbs, but the top six inches, <laughs> they, they can't. You know, and I, with this problem, I had to, that was when I, I, I first started thinking about even being a manager at that age. Because I had to think about thinking my, thinking my way around the field as well. You know? Being in the right place at the right time, reading the game. And as I say, if I'm playing with these players, and I can't do that. Then there's, there's not much down for me. And, and one of the most satisfying days of my career was a Wales-Scotland international match at Cardiff. Uh, five years after, in 1979, I just got promotion with Swansea and I was called into the Welsh squad. I was player manager at Swansea and we played Scotland team that had Dalgleish, Hanson and Sooners in it three ex-Liverpool players and I got a hat-trick and we beat Scotland 3-0 at Cardiff and that is one of the most satisfying days I remember doing a television interview with David Coleman after the game I had Kenny's shirt in my hand and I said I can't I can't stay any longer I've got a promotion dinner down at my method with Swansea tonight I've got a head off <laughs> so I was playing and managing Swansea playing for playing for Wales 
and I'd been told that I only had a year left, four or five years earlier. So they, that that was something that gave me obviously a lot of uh, a lot of satisfaction. I mean, your time as a manager is. As I said at the, at the top, it's, it's wide, it's varied, it's, it's successful in lots of different areas. It's, it's unlike a lot of others, was the Liverpool players from the time he maybe went into yeah. a bit of coaching or did some punditry or, or if you opened the pub, I think, didn't he? But well, you yeah. end up at Real Madrid. Well, they never. Uh, Kevin, of course, was successful as well. Kevin in, in, uh, in football management. When you, look at, when you look at the rest of that team, you know, and you think that we played, we, we played under Shanks and Bob uh, for as long as we did. Um, it is maybe a little bit surprising that others, uh, others didn't go on and get involved in management. Leeds, Leeds were our big opponents at, at that particular time, you know. And the, the people like uh, Terry, Terry Yonath, Alan Clark, um, Big Jack, Jack Charlton, uh, Norman Hunter, they, they went into management, Billy Bremner as well. Uh, that, the, our Liverpool team, no, they, they, they weren't, successful managers didn't, uh, didn't come out of that. You obviously had that drive in you to, to do more and to experience more as well. Something that I always wanted, yeah, player manager thing at Swansea suited me at that particular time. Um, and as I say, fortunately, turned out very, very well for me. I just took to it and, and uh, you know, as I say, there we, there we go. I mean, I was, in, I was in San Sebastian this year and I was lucky enough to be taken to a Real Madrid game. Um, so I saw Real Sociedad, Real Madrid. Yeah, and, um, and, and both teams, both obviously fans, speak so highly, highly yeah. of you and it was interesting with the, the Sociedad fans, I thought, oh, they'll ask me about Alonso or maybe yeah. even Aldo, but they, and they still, but they still speak about you, what, what you achieved there, well, you know, will be remembered for a long time. I was in San Sebastian last uh, week for a big dinner last uh, Friday evening, a hundred years of Basque football or Guipuzcoano football and... Um, yeah, people still talk about the. We've only won the FA Cup, the Cup once in Zaragoza in 1987. We won on penalty kicks against Atletico Madrid. Um, all those years ago, of course, it, the, the, yeah, I was very, very fortunate for La Coruña, Madrid, and they also had to win important trophies there. So, Spanish football is. Has been kind, been very kind to me. Yeah. Loads we haven't covered, but it's all in the book. It's Toshak's way, my journey through football. I would recommend that I've read it, and it's loads of stuff I didn't know about the Liverpool time, and obviously about the time after. But um, great to chat to you today, Joel. Okay, Thanks very super. much. Thank you very much. With Andy Heaton to discuss the Reds Bet specials this week, Reds Bet are our partners for 2018, and they are putting 50% of uh, their profits back into fan-related causes and initiatives. Liverpool fan-related causes initiatives for Reds Bet. Do gamble aware and do also select the Liverpool fan-related cause or initiative you want to go back to. So they're our main partners for 20, 2018. You've been doing, uh, you've been you've seeing someone else, and they've been breakfast, and I've not been invited. Well, I mean, the fact that I actually done breakfast for a kickoff. You got up. What was it for? Oh, uh, so uh, yeah, we got invited by the guys at Western Union for a, a business breakfast uh, at Anfield earlier this week, Tuesday morning. It was uh, me and John went down um, as their guest. It was really good, actually, really interesting. We had loads of good speakers. Frank McKenna was there. 
Um, Look at you, City High Flyers. Down, downtown Andy Heaton. Well, hey, I'm downtown anyway. <laughs> you know me. Um, but that's no, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I know that the, the whole breaks of things in the news at the minute, and it was kind of it. It can be a bit a bit dry trying to understand some of the analysis, but they they had some guys on there who were really really smart, really clever, but also communicate things in such a way that idiots like me can understand. So if they can get me to understand it. You know, you're on the way there. No, but we had a really good time. We had a little stadium oh, yeah. tour after that. So, uh, yeah, no, thanks little, to them. A little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing with Heaton uh, and his breakfasts. Uh, coming and doing presentations for us and everything about the whole thing. Felt like a new man. Uh, <laughs> you had a pair of kecks on, it was mad. Anyway, uh, not to say that you walk around without trousers. What I mean <laughs> is not jeans or, or tracksuits. Uh, you had a pair of proper trousers on. Anyway, uh, let's talk about the Reds bet offers this week. Uh, it is, uh, first and foremost, focused around your Watford game, Andy. Most able to score, Liverpool to win, and both teams to score versus Watford is 15-4 to four. so Salah to score us to win and them to get one what do you reckon? I don't know I don't know you fancy us to nil don't you? I fancy us to nil I always fancy us to nil of late I just I just think you look at that against Colum and then you think and, and this is this isn't disparaging anyone I just think that um, the biggest risk to us conceding a goal is ourselves of late um, but yeah I mean I can see the value in that bet but no I, I fancy us to win nil and possibly I like as an I don't I can imagine Keita getting. I've been I've been doing Keita any time to score for every game he started this season. So yeah, I might get a, have a little bit of that. You might have a little bit of that. There's another one then. Liverpool to win to nil, thirty-seven to twenty. Ooh, I'm trying to do those maths in my head. It was never Talk a strong point. Yeah. Um, get yeah. your presentation back. Well, <laughs> get me on a power breakfast on Reds, but I'll be I'll be all over it. Yeah, no, it, it seems decent. No, I'm I'm I'm, I'm onto that. Um, Fancy's yet? Yeah, no, is it? Well, I mean, have we got anything there for high scoring? Because I, I really, I, I like the look of us at the weekend. Do you really? All right. Yeah. Well, over three. Well, Liverpool to win and over three point five goals is fifty three to twenty. Another oh. tough one on the maths. Five oh to two. yeah, no, I get that one. Better I get that one. Two. I'm on that one. I'm on that one. Yeah. Why not? Why, Why not? not? It's a good one. Liverpool to lead after fifteen minutes is seventeen to four. It's a bit of a tricky one, isn't it? Because this time last season you'd be all over that because we were starting early, we were flying in, whereas. Uh, we've just been a little bit more patient this season. You do, you do wonder whether, I don't know, I, I just fancy, as much as we've been a little bit more patient, you just think against certain teams, you might let us off, not let us off the leash a little bit, but go out with the message of try and, try and kill this one early, especially with PSG in mind next week, get two or three in the bank and then maybe take it easy in the second half. I like that one. I like the idea that we got ahead in the game. I think in general it's going to be a first goal sort of game. You've got more to talk about right the way through the weekend. Uh, thank you very much to Andy and our partners throughout the year. Reds bet, uh, as I say before, do select who it is, your beneficiary, if you do come and be part of the Reds Bet project. Uh, it'd be fantastic if you do, but if gam- we know gambling isn't for everyone, and if it isn't for you, we're not trying to encourage that. We're just trying to say to people, if they do already, come and do so with the Reds Bet, and if you lose, the money will go back into a Liverpool-supported-related cause. Uh, do be gamble-aware, and this is the Anfield Raps Weekender. Neil Atkinson and John Gibbons joined by Francis Malloy to talk about the tired campaign, the tired campaign where they're attempting to change the law around how tires are used. But before we get into that, Francis, you're running this campaign because your son Michael passed away on the tenth uh, of September, twenty twelve. Um, tell me about Michael. Um, well, Michael was a musician, um, a very talented musician. He was a guitarist, songwriter, and um, just before we lost Michael, he'd he'd written a song and we actually got that out there and it, it kind of charted in, you know, called Rise and Fall. Um, he'd done music from the minute he picked up a guitar. He was 12 when he picked up his first guitar. He'd always been a writer from when he was very young. He wrote books, uh, stories and poetry. So it was always from a very early age he knew what he wanted to do. 
And of course, music was his entire life. I mean, literally his entire life. He did nothing other than something that was associated with music. And um, he went to Bestival on the Isle of Wight and had one of the best weekends of his life. He went there. It was headlining Stevie Wonder at the time. So it was kind of somebody he really wanted to go and see. And um, on the way back, the coach crashed and um, it killed him at 18. It killed Kerry Ogden at 23 and it killed the driver, Colin Dolby. It's from that point you've been... The inquest, the inquest occurred and the Department of Transport changed the safety guidelines to recommend mm-hmm. tyres no greater than 10 years. Mm. Since that recommendation, you've been running the tired campaign, pushing for that to, for that to be a change of law. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I've been doing that actually. Before. So the tired campaign, we relaunched the campaign. I started this immediately after the inquest. So once I heard that a 20-year-old tyre was the cause of Michael's death, which was older than him and older than the coach, and that every single tyre on that vehicle, which was operated by, by Mersey Travel, um, Mersey Pride, sorry, um, was older than... Th- the, the spare was 13 years old. I mean, every tyre was old. And the coroner wrote to the Department of Transport and said, you know, this can't go on. This is this is a, a serious issue and there is a, a risk of further death. So I started that in 2013. We got a bill in Parliament um, to, to push it forward. It is a safety campaign. And then we got a new election and, and we had to start again. So we then launched the Tired campaign two years ago. And that's just, it's been massive because it's now got a brand and I've got a lot of support behind me. It isn't just me anymore and a whole group of volunteers. So yet yeah, we, we're now, we're still pushing um, I met Patrick McLaughlin, who was the Secretary of State for Transport at the time, when he put out the guidance. We we said it wouldn't work, and we've since spoke to the department, and we know it isn't working. So, you know, the only way is to legislate and to change the law. Yeah, it's. I mean, I've followed it the, the whole thing very closely because I was actually at festival that that year, and and so it it, it really resonated with me, and I knew knew a few people on the bus as well, and. And also it's worth pointing out that the Colin Dolby is someone who a lot of people from the match will know from Liverpool or know because he used to drive us to away games. And I think coaches, you know, form form a strong part of, of, of kind of what we do in society, really, in, in terms of especially for young people because it's affordable transport and it's getting people to places to have a good time, but it but it should be safely. And I think it almost feels like, you know, if maybe I'm sure you know, certain members of parliament or whatever, people in government aren't getting on coaches every weekend and kind of going places. And so maybe they're not, you know, it's it's, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But it's, it, 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 I'm, I'm shocked that it, that this has gone on as long as it has, to be honest with you, Francis. And, and when you, you launched this campaign, it seemed to me like, oh, be, you know, it's almost like a no-brainer. They'll, they'll, they'll sort something and then, and then you'll be able to know that there's been some sort of legacy for for not just Michael, but but the, but the three people who 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 we lost. And I, I I mean, what sort of reasons have you been given why why you're still campaigning and and this 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 law, which seems so obvious, you know, won't be changed? Well, I've had a number of reasons, but the hardest one for me to hear is that there's no there's not enough evidence. The fact that three people died is not enough evidence. The fact that one of them is my son. That's really difficult for me to hear. Um, you all will probably know about Zach, who was travelling with Michael, Zach Washington Young, who was paralysed from the waist down um, and has learned to walk again. So, it, you know, there were horrific injuries on that coach. And um, so that's been one of their arguments. We need more evidence. Um, there's definitely financial arguments in here because it means that operators will 
obviously have to change the tyres, but we are talking 10 years here. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's not like we're talking the manufacturer's guidance is only six. So, you know, we're talking 10 years and actually all of the responsible operators. So we've got National Express Coaches, the big green coach company who do a lot with festivals. They've backed us because they want to be good operators, safe operators. So this really will be for those operators who don't take safety they don't put safety first. They don't care about the passengers and they don't care about their workers even. You know, yeah, I know Colin was very well known in, in the football. Mm. There's a lot of people who've said that to me. But your point then about, you know, public transport. As a mum, 18, if Michael had said to me, I'm going to Bestival with my mates in a car, I would have said, absolutely not. You're not yeah. doing it. And I'd have driven it myself if I'd have, if I'd have had to do it. Yeah. He went on a coach. So, do you know, I worried about him being there. I worried about him getting there. I worried about everything a mum would worry about as one of the kids going to a festival. What I never even crossed my mind was, is the coach safe? It just didn't cross my mind because I assumed that the safety regulations on a coach would be absolutely of the highest standard. I mean, there's more regulation around the kettle in our workplace than there is around a tyre. On a coach that's that's travelling hundreds of thousands of miles, and there's it's the part of this conversation is there's coaches crisscrossing the country every single weekend, during summers, during you know we see them pull up outside here all the time where we're recording right now. There's coaches travelling absolutely everywhere constantly in the in the country. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, people ask me, you know, I was asked only recently, why do you do this? Um, obviously, this is really painful. I've got to keep talking about how I lost my son. Um, I do it for, for two reasons. One, I just don't think Michael didn't need to die. People knew mm. this was an issue. This is the second coroner that's written to the government, so they knew that old tyres are a problem. Um, he was 18. He had his whole life ahead of him. So, you know, we've all, we've lost. I mean, our lives are destroyed. But more importantly is I can't get Michael back, but I wish someone had done this for me. And I think if we all just sit back and go, it's not our problem, you know, we can't change it, then nothing ever changes. And the fact is, what you've just said, John, is people don't know. Mm. And the shock of, I have not met, honestly, a single person to date, not one, who said, oh, that's okay. And, you know, they people argue with me and say, it can't be legal. And I go, well, it, it is. You know, <laughs> can't, it, I wish it wasn't, but it mm. is. I've even had lawyers say to me, that can't be legal. And I go, well, it is, you know. Um, so the government, what they're just putting in barriers, and it is a, you know, it's a safety campaign. It is not a political campaign at all. So whoever was in government, I'd be doing the same thing with. And they just, we've got a bill, which is constantly blocked in Parliament. We're going to make our seventh attempt on Friday the 23rd to try and get this bill to a second reading. Um, and all that happens is someone stands up and says object and that's it. And, and we don't even get a reason why. So that that's what will happen on Friday the twenty third. Do you um, think? I believe that's what they'll still do. They will block the bill again. Um, the unfortunate thing now is that we've now run out of this parliamentary time, so yep. we've got to now apply to do it again. So that's, to my view, is what they've done. They've done everything to stall us so that we get through this. You know. So it's the next reading of the Queen's speeches when yeah. you can go back in and you have to start you have all to over start again from all that. over again. Well, it's just the second time I've done it, and you know, yeah, it's painful and it's it's wrong, but I will do it. I mean. I'm not. I'm not stopping. I mean, I think they get that now. I'm not going away. I mean, that's not ever going to happen. And you know, even if something happened to me, I've got an army of people behind me now. 
The best thing people listening to this can do is presumably write to parliamentarians yeah. and state the idea of why they back this, why they why they back this campaign, yeah. why they back this shift in law. Mm-hmm. The parliamentarians are the first port of call to say to people, "This is this is unacceptable that this is being blocked, and that we, we there needs to be progress made on this." Definitely, and I think you know if you go onto our website www.tide.org.uk, all of the resources are there. So if you want to write to your MP, you put in your postcode, it'll come up with your local MP. And then, you know, the letter just goes off and you write to your local MP and, you know, all over the country, it doesn't matter where you are. Also, what we do ask people if, you know, is your local councils, because that's quite powerful. So local authorities, a lot of them have have passed a motion to say they back this bill um, from all over the country. And the more pressure we put on the government in that way, obviously that there is strength in numbers here and the people who are behind this are phenomenal. I do say it's become... It's not my campaign. It actually belongs to everybody out there now because all of you will have someone on a coach, whether it's your child or your parents or anybody is going to be on a coach at some point in your life and you don't know what you're getting on. And it's it's kind of also encouraged them to help us with the social media, get behind us on Twitter. So that's really powerful. We know that is working. We know that's having an effect on ministers, particularly when people start to put pressure on through Twitter. And that can be done, obviously, the best time to do that will be around the 23rd. Whatever happens either way, you'll obviously let people know, we can let people know, but then both on the day itself and then the aftermath, the idea of being able to say, well, this just isn't acceptable. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Tired will be very active on that day on Twitter um, and all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, the whole lot. And, you know, as many people as can get behind us and retweet things or make comments, even better if you make your own comments about why is this happening? It's unacceptable. Um, this is a road safety campaign. And the important thing for, for the public to know, this doesn't cost the public anything. So most times when you go to Parliament and you try and change something in the law, it's because they'll come back and say it's too expensive. It costs the government absolutely nothing. Mm. This is something that can be done at an annual MOT. The date's already on the tyre. So it's that straightforward. It's that straightforward. It really is that straightforward, which is why none of it makes sense to me because it's costing the public purse absolutely nothing. Maria Eagle, uh, Garson and Halewood is trying to get the bill through Parliament um, so you can support Maria uh, and that's always a good thing to do as well. Uh, you can uh, write to your MP. Uh, if you go to Tired and it's Tired with a Y, T-Y-R-E-D dot org dot UK to do that, uh, find out who your MP is and put pressure on there. Be aware of the social media stuff, especially around the 23rd of November and quite possibly again going into the new year when the next Queen's speech is read and the other side of that process begins again if that's what happens this time around. Can't thank Frances enough for coming in and speaking to us and she made a very, very clear it's not a political campaign it's a safety campaign if you go to lordtimepieces.com forward slash wrap you will be able to get the 15% discount uh, 15% discount on uh, their products that they've got there uh, we had a Lord Timepiece watch but as has been discussed previously John Gibbons has taken it home so right now I'm staring at a very nice empty box which did previously possess a very nice watch indeed but right now the box is just empty and I'm in the studio on my own working through it it is on there, if you go onto that page, a lot of them have been reduced already. Uh, they've been reduced already. And then from there, uh, you can uh, go even further and take your 15% off um, if you wanted to shop uh, with Lord Time Pieces. I know that there's Christmas coming up and all that sort of stuff. They do look really, really nice indeed. And they have the top picks there for you. Uh, but you can also see everything they've got on the whole website. And then you get your 15% off when you uh, check out with the discount code RAP, uh, W-R-A-P. Um, with Lord Time Pieces, we do, as I said before, we do genuinely like the watches. Uh, We've we've been sent one, uh, and we've seen the other ones that are on there as well. We do think that they are good. Uh, so if you are 
thinking about that or anything like that, if you're thinking about getting a Christmas present for someone, do consider doing so with Lord Timepieces. So if you just go at the very end there, you get the 15% discount when you apply the code RAP, W-R-A-P, as in the Anfield. And thank you as ever very much for listening to us and for supporting us. Joined by Dan Hunt uh, to talk about Brazil and Ladytron and Liverpool. Uh, we'll start with Liverpool and we'll ta- start talking about Liverpool in Brazil. It won't have gone unnoticed that Liverpool have got Brazil's goalkeeper. It won't have gone unnoticed they've got their second-choice centre-forward. We can have a chat about why that's the case as well. And I think Liverpool in general in Brazil won't be going unnoticed at the minute and they run to the final last year. We'll be part of that as well, Dan. It's... Are Brazilian, is Brazilian football fascinated by Liverpool in the same way that in the past we've been fascinated by Brazilian football? It, there is there is a lot of interest, um, you know, and it's obviously the interest grows with each with each Brazilian signing that we make. Um, I remember when I first moved there like five years ago, um, which was just just before Coutinho signed actually. Um, Chelsea was the club that that Brazilians, you know, casually seemed to be interested. Is in. that because of Louise and Oscar? Yeah, and also I think that they, I think there was a lot of marketing being done. It was quite, a, it was quite a conscious thing. There was things on TV all the time, kind of advertorial stuff. Um, and then, but there's been a little core. There's like a little kind of supporters club in Sao Paulo. You run into them in the pub for the games, whatever. And that and that's grown, and and then it's got to the point where now with like with like four players, um, they get talked about a lot, and there's an affection. It kind of comes across if you watch a game on on one of the Brazilian channels, or ESPN or or whatever. There's an affection with the commentators. Um, you know, they'll call like Firmino, Bobby, and stuff like that. You know, they they, they do pick up on things. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I was in, I was in, as you know, I was in Kiev for the final. But my, my friends back back there were saying that, you know, unless you were a diehard Real Madrid fan, everyone was supporting Liverpool that day in Sao Paulo, like all the bars everywhere. Um, and there was also, I mean, I noticed, you know, that you've made it in Brazil when you cross over into the world of Brazilian memes. <laughs> and, and Brazil is the world champion of memes, you know, football not so much in the last few couple of years, but but memes. Um there was actually a meme of uh in Portuguese of of of, of Kiev, the Kiev final, and it said, um I don't think Dua Leap is appropriate music for a for a Champions League final. And then it was like underneath it was like Liverpool fans and there was this mad clip of one of these lads dancing to do a leaper in our end, you know what I mean? Yeah. So little things you know, I mean it's it's kind of it's touching when this stuff makes it makes it through. But I mean at one point, um, in the lead up to the final, you know, because you know, that run was was incredible. Um I stopped being like the kind of the gringo, the local gringo in the bars around our house. And I started being the Liverpool guy <laughs> and it's all anyone wanted to talk to me about. And that's it. basically still the case now. You're still stuck being the Liverpool guy. I mean, Alisson, I want to talk about Alisson because uh-huh. he must, in the same way that this, I think there's footballs that grab sort of the imagination. And I think he has, hasn't he, in Brazil, really? Like he is the statuesque nature of him, the sheer quality of him, the way in which he goes about his stuff. Alisson is, you know, the sign of him just adds to that this summer, the whole Brazil-Liverpool mystique thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's uh, he's really well-respected. And, um, I mean, I suppose we were already there. I mean, you know, Alisson is, you know, he's, he's the first-choice keeper. 
I guess that's the first time we've signed a player of that stature in Brazil. We've, you know, we signed um, Cochino, was, who was like a kid who'd gone to Europe and kind of lost his way. We signed Lucas, who was well regarded in Brazil uh, as a young player, but he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't starting for the national team or anything like that. Um, and and Firmino, um, it's another case. He went to Europe very young, didn't play at a very high level in Brazil. I mean, when he signed, the joke was people were asking me what what I you know what I knew about him. I was like, ask someone in Germany, no one knows who he is here, and that. Um, you know, is part of the reason why he wasn't being selected still. I mean, it, it, that, that situation in the World Cup was crazy. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, because I really like Tietje as a manager. Um, I think he's the best Brazil's got. Um, but it was, it was amazing how he still had this, this automatic um, favour for Brazil-based players uh outside of you know Real Madrid Barcelona whatever um and i think the persistence with with Gabriel Jesus was was i just thought it was perverse because every time we saw it every time Firmino came on something happened um and so by the end of the tournament you, you teacher was fi- saying something like you know i'm finally getting to know his abilities it's like have you not been watching have you not been watching Liverpool um so it's quite strange i thought it was um yeah, I thought it was, you know, they, I mean, they could have gone further with him with him starting. I don't know what this persistence with uh, Gabriel Jesus was based on because he wasn't doing anything, even though I really, obviously, really like him as a player. And I've I followed him since he broke through at, at Palmeiras because that's my, that's my team there. Um, you know, just obviously talk about Brazilian football for us. Uh, Lady Tron, did a, you've released a single uh, and you the island which is what the the the, the album's going to be called no, the al- uh, it's like the album's just eponymous oh, was it eponymous yeah yeah <laughs> all right okay uh sorry about that sorry. uh the album's <laughs> t- t- absolutely fine i don't know why i've got in my head that it's called Easier. the island you've done, the, you've, done a, you've done a little film haven't you is that why it's in my head you did a film around the idea of it being called the island it's just well what we decided to do because i mean you know we've been going a long time and you know we're as sick as uh, as anyone of um conventional music videos we thought if you know you've got actually this this budget and and this time to make something um these little mini films i don't know it's not it's not an original idea a lot of people do it but it's the first time we've had like a seven year break and it's the first time that we've been able to just do it without a label breathing down our neck and telling us that we all have to be lined up you know, with our instruments pretending to play, we don't have to do that anymore. So, so we had some fun with that one, and the previous the the previous film was uh, the previous single, The Animals. We shot that in in Sao Paulo. Actually, that was like a very kind of gritty little snapshot snapshot of um, kind of lower middle class youth life there. And. The short film that you've done around the island, which, as I say, is why I thought that the album was called The Islands, because I've seen it. Uh-huh. How, the themes that are in there, that sort of dystopian sort of, or, or not dystopian, or dystopia is now, essence, yeah. which we'll come on to talk about in a little bit in a minute as well. Yeah. How much of that is going to be in the album proper? Well, I mean, the album is... Um, it's definitely dystopian, but as you say, it's... it's uh, if I mean, we're already here. I mean, this is the, the whole thing that... You know, dystopian science fiction is so is so worthless now, and we've all grown up with it. But but we are there. 
Um, I wouldn't say that it was, it's not a depressing record or anything like that. It's just, um, you know, I think the themes are just born out of this reckoning that we, we're all facing, really. And um, so it's not necessarily satirical. It's not necessarily dealing with individual issues, specifically anything like that. It's just that general sense of unease that we've all got. You, I, I think it would be impossible to make any any kind of record now and not be influenced by that, basically. You've been in Brazil whilst there's been a run-up to the, to the election. Um the election of, of, of the fascist, basically. Let's not mess about. Let's not call uh, our punches. It let's is, not use his name either. Let's just call him The Thing. And, well, let's refer to The Thing then, because you you you, you, you gave a speech yesterday uh, at the time of recording this about The Thing and about the, the prominence of it as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I think it's important, isn't it, you, you, to specify that it is, whilst it's, it's thematically things that, are, that you can draw in with what's gone on in other countries. Mm-hmm. This is also Brazil-specific, and I think that yeah. the thing is Brazil-specific. It's important that we don't sort of cheapen Brazil by making it the third act or the fourth act or the fifth act and everything else. Exactly this, exactly this. I mean, in a way, um, the comparisons to Trump are really unhelpful. Um, you're not talking about someone like Trump, you know, okay, a, a, a proto-fascist, uh, all these kind of things that are happening. Um, the thing in Brazil is another level of, you know, he said openly 30,000 people need to be killed for the country to function. Um, he said these kind of things all the way through his career. Um, so it is another level. So, I mean, some of the people I spoke to, the Trump thing is unhelpful because it actually endorses him there. Yeah. People would go, oh, well, you see, well, he's president of the US. They seem to be doing okay. It's actually unhelpful in that level. But, um, yeah, a lot of the people, it's, I mean, it's understandable. A lot of people I've spoken to about this and, and about this in, you know, in recent months and years, they've gone, oh, yeah, that's just like here. That's just like Brexit or that's just like Trump, whatever. It is, there's a, there's a trend to do with, with to do with big data and everything else that we that we know, uh, but it is Brazil specific, and um, I think there's a big difference as well between a former colony or yeah a uh, new colony, um, and you know the northern the global north. It's a bit it's the situation is very very different. Um, so yeah, I think that that it's it, it it's part of the same it's part of the same act in the sense that Adam Curtis, I saw an interview with Adam Curtis when he described um, Trump and Brexit. It's basically if you give people an, like, a, like, a, like a referendum, like an election, and it, you, there's just a button you can press that just says, fuck off, people will just press it. And this is what's been happening. Um, so in that sense, it's similar as well. It's like pe- these people who vote for him, it's, it's there's a, you know, they are... For the most part, they're not fascists. They are, I'd say, they are politically naive. I would say that they are optimistic that this change is going to do something good for them. Um, I think they're wrong, of course. And you know, it's so it's it's not like the country has turned fascist. A neo-fascist has been elected. Um, the the point is that everyone has to resist to stop that neo-fascist presidency turning into an actual de facto neo-fascist regime, which obviously hasn't happened yet. 
So um, that's really what the struggle is going to be about. And that's why international solidarity is so important now. It's important, but it is also, again, important that it's, it is it is rooted in the distinctions that you've just made there about Brazil. Yeah. In in the fact that it's not been so long since there was a regime not dissimilar to this one yeah. in Brazil. I think all of those things, it, it, it's, it's, that's what I sort of take from the outside. Whenever we, whenever we, in inverted commas, do this sort of thing, what we often end up doing is we absolutely whack our, you said global north, we yeah. can call it western lens on things. Exactly. It's just like this and that's just not Eurocentrism. fair. Eurocentrism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's important to, it's important to have eyes there. And, and to be able to see it, it's also useful to have an outside perspective as well, because sometimes things, sometimes things are seen there. Um, having a combination of an inside and outside perspective is really, is really productive. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but I, I think that, um, what, you know, what's happened, you know, I mean, okay, to put it in its simplest terms, it's 30 years, it's less than 30 years since the first election. Um, since the dictatorship, the first direct election, 1989. It's a very, very new democracy. Um, people justified what was happening uh, to an extent over the last few years, going, oh, it's a new democracy, it's going through teething troubles. It's like, it's far more cynical than that. I mean, it's it's deliberate. It's not, this isn't just, oh, well, I want to shame, look what happened to Brazil. It's intentional. Um, and I think that's got to be understood before we can even even get to what to do about it. Hope you enjoyed all that. Back with Steve, Ali, and Mel. Let's talk about Watford away. Um, let's start with Watford. Um, Mel, good season from them, uh, to be honest with you. They played well against United and Spurs. Um, I am very intrigued by them getting battered by Bournemouth, though. It's 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 when I've had my arm Watford all the way through. When they got battered by Bournemouth, I thought, oh, hello, that could be good Liverpool news in that there's something that, whatever it is that Bournemouth do, I'd like to think we'd be able to do as well. Mm. They left themselves overexposed in that game and Bournemouth just hit them with pace and direct counters and, and that was basically that for Watford. Sounds like us, that Mel, on a good day. <laughs> yeah. Um, they overcommitted, then got put themselves in a position where Bournemouth hit them twice and then they had to overplay in to try and get back into the game and then from there you're in a losing position all day, every day. They've been weird in a sense because I've seen them be really, really good and the two games we picked out, United and, and Tottenham, I watched both of those and I thought, oh, they're a nasty team to play. They have aggression, they're very clever in possession and out of it they've got clarity about them uh, they can bully you but they can also play outplay you uh, and that's a, a tricky combination to have to deal with but then I've watched them at other times and I thought goodness me <laughs> I've seen you've been so organized and so clear in your approach and now I'm, I'm very confused as to what you do you, you look very muddled they're poor fans uh, yeah and I think the 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 thing is if you allow them to dictate the game if you let them play the way they want to from the start and if you let them settle then they're very good at imposing themselves because they're naturally a, t a team that likes to do that to like likes to be physical and stuff but if you disorganize them quickly and early then they struggle and and we've seen lesser sides do it to the newcastle beat them didn't yeah. they yeah. Oh no. 
Yeah. There's ups and downs from everything that Mel said there, Ali, uh, because my biggest criticism of this Liverpool side this season is I don't think they've effectively imposed their reality on teams enough. I think that's possibly been our biggest weakness. We haven't we haven't dictated the terms of enough games, even whilst we've been getting results. So, you know, I like the idea that they're susceptible to fast counters on the one hand and to, and to some chaos, but Liverpool this season have, I, I find, and I could be wrong, but too often played the game on the opponent's terms. Yeah, I think that's probably true, actually. I think... That has that's probably different this season from last season, definitely. I think that has definitely been a weakness. I also worry about the opening period of a game um, for Liverpool this season and where you're where you're creating a sense of momentum. I think too often we've relied on um, making a change or um, you know we have um, we've got into games and basically uh, been able to outrun and you know outpace teams in the end so I definitely think it's a risk they are unpredictable as Mel has said they have a lot of capacity I think to um, yeah set the terms if it comes to that on the other hand you know who knows what Watford are gonna turn up it's it's Which once Watford what Watford we could be either um, it's one Steve where well, I think I'm I'm intrigued by our capacity to learn. Uh, last season it was a weird game as well, and I think that weird is sort of the thing. Mm. Um, but we tend to be good at learning. We were good at it last season, and, and admittedly from a lower base. But we, you do sort of expect us to have to have to have picked something up because there is something solid about their approach in that, to some way, shape, or form, it does sort of transcend whoever the manager is. Yeah, I mean, for a, a club that have had quite a lot of turmoil and change, they've sort of established a brand and a thing that you sort of feel that you sort of know what they're about, um, which is interesting. It, you know, it, it kind of goes against what you'd expect, really. But yeah, with Liverpool, it's hard to look at last season's game because it was so early, you know, first game of the season, and it makes sort of sense just went out of the window in that game for a while. I, you almost feel like that, give us that pattern of play and that, that kind of game again, and I think Liverpool would win nine times out of ten anyway. You know, a game in which Liverpool are able to score three goals it seems very unlikely to me and, uh, you know, could uh, be a massive hostage to fortune. It seems very unlikely to me Liverpool wouldn't win that game. Um, certainly this Liverpool team as well, when you look at the change in the goalkeeper, the change at the back. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Liverpool having the chance to, to maybe get that counter-attacking game going again, um, probably see them make lots of bad decisions in the final third again um, but you know start getting may, maybe just getting some of that instinct back among among the front three and then, and then the players around them um, so you know for that reason I'd be looking to to play the front three I don't think there's any, there's any sort of pre-rotation that I'd be looking to do here uh, you need to to go and, and be focused on what is a you know a really tough game it's a, it's a game we've seen Tottenham lose this season we've seen other sides um, come up against them and, and struggle and then yet we have seen Bournemouth take them apart and I think that should be both a warning and an encouragement and from both of those points of view I think Liverpool need to go really strong um, I'll get you to bring me team in a minute one more little thing as well Mel for people to watch out for uh, uh, Capu's having an excellent season in the middle of the park for them 
Um, last season, you can make a really strong argument that Corey was, was possibly the best centre mid outside the top six. Um, okay. Sorry? You did aggressively. And I, I will continue <laughs> to do so, Steve. I think he's a very, very good footballer. I wouldn't necessarily have him for Liverpool, but that's not the same thing. Uh, he's he's an excellent player, and I think that it, 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 it's a bit of a dilemma for the Watford manager, given the fact that Hughes is probably out um, as to whether or not he goes solid on the right-hand side, because that's what he's been doing, playing something that you could write down as 4-4-2, but the right midfielder stays very close to the two centre midfielders, and Pereira goes and plays. Or if he drops De La Feu back in, picks Dean, he picks success and uh, goes from there. Pereira, by the way, success is a footballer, by the way, it's not a concept. Um, he is, well, it is both, but in this instance, the way I use it there, he's a footballer. Um, I think it's, I think that, that this could be their undoing. I actually think that of all, in a really strange way, losing Hughes gives the manager a lot of headaches. Yeah, and beyond the selection as well, I think what they'll have issues with is where teams like Watford have traditionally thought they could get at Liverpool, which is the physical battle, especially, you know, targeting their, their rear guard, looking at picking one of the central defenders or the fullbacks, just looking to exploit them in that in that sense in a, in a quite an aggressive battle is something they can't do anymore because Liverpool's axis at the back is as steely as you can imagine. And I think, you know, as much as we spoke about, about it earlier that Liverpool haven't really looked themselves yet, in one sense, that's a good thing because they are so steely now. They are, you, you know, they're dependable at the back and not just dependable, but quite dominant. Mm. And mm. a lot of teams have decided to target Joe Gomez, which hasn't been successful for them. A lot of, you know, teams with, with very good forwards and forwards that are horrible to play against are Nautovic, um, Mitrovic, and it's not come off so... It'll be interesting to see whether they also try that same tactic or, you know, beyond the selection that Neil's spoken about, what actual approach they think is going to dismantle Liverpool. Um, also, the point that Steve made, you know, with, with Liverpool's counters, it's it's weird because it's been almost, it's almost, almost, almost there. It's just that that final ball or the final thought process hasn't come off. And if you go back to that Huddersfield game and look at it, Liverpool could have ended up winning it, you know, by five clear goals and you would have thought to yourself, yeah, that makes sense. Did you see how many opportunities they created just got wasted? And the Tottenham game before that, that was such an overwhelmingly dominant performance over that Spurs side that it should have been out of sight at half time already. And and again, it wasn't the chance creation that was the issue because it was there. It was just the final the final ball before the one that goes in the back of the net, which was off. Um and I think it's just small tweaks that they believe at Melwood which will change things. Whether that's small tweaks in being able to restore the formation because you've got different personnel to work with once Cater comes back into the fold. Henderson's also likely to to be in contention so i i don't think we need to be too concerned about liverpool this weekend and moving forward during this tricky period because i think there's so much liverpool are so far away from their ceiling there's so much to come and it's just getting that clip so with that in mind pick me a team between the three of you uh, and i'll start off by asking you are you picking shakiri i think you could argue it both ways but i'm gonna go yes okay um, in part because of the conversation we just had about the need to like come out and dominate and impose our will 
And I think if, if, you know, Klopp clearly knows that he can do that and believes in him to do it, so why not make a start? There we go. That would be the argument in favour. Steve? My argument in favour is that I'm probably not picking him in Paris. Therefore, it helps me anyway. Um, alongside all of the arguments that Ali's made, I think I think they're, they're all pretty good. Um, but I think that the physical threat from Watford is definitely something that we need to take into consideration. Uh, I think that they won't get the joy. It was a caca last season, wasn't it? Just like for 45 minutes before he could, couldn't could run anymore, literally couldn't run anymore. <laughs> it's um, mad to watch. Causes all kinds of problems. And I, I, again, I could be speaking too soon. I just don't think that type of player is one that Liverpool massively fear anymore. We've seen you know, a much better type of physical striker in Mitrovic um, actually play really well and yet not get that much joy out of Liverpool. Mm. Uh, I think that we, you know, I think Dini's in contention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of thinking, stroke, hoping that Dini might be a problem for them. Um, just is. that kind of totem player who you have to, like Martin Noble for West Ham, you just constantly like, why is... I understand why he is still getting games, but I think it may limit you in the end. Um, so with that said, anyway, yeah, I think I think I want my midfield to be pretty robust. I also want to see Naby Keita play. I think it, it needs to happen sooner rather than later. Um, I would really like it to happen probably in two of the three games that are coming up this week. Um, so I, I, I think, think in all three. Well, I mean, if you could play in all three, that'd be amazing. But I think, you know, certainly two of the three. I think you throw him into the derby, for example, I think you've got a real X factor kind of player in there who just other sides haven't legislated for quite. So uh yeah, so essentially Henderson if he's fit, Vinaldum and Keita, if not then I'm more than happy with Vinaldum, Milner, Keita. Okay. So you're picking security. He's not picking he's not he's not picking I'm not picking security. The front uh, the front three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh I think he'll do the same actually. Go with the front three and And no security. Uh, yeah, if I mean, if you're going to play Naby Keita, you and you need a sort of balance. This is not; it's quite a physical game. It's it's going to be a battle. Shakiri is probably my favorite player at the moment, joint with Joe Gomez. But I can understand the reasoning for not starting him in this game. I also think Liverpool need a game changer on the bench, and I think he'll he's. He can fill that role for this game. I think Klopp's been quite uh, consistent in picking him for the home games and also the games against teams who are going to pack their defence because he's unpredictable, Shakiri and, and can unlock it. I don't think this is going to be one of those games. And I think he's going to opt for a strong, sturdy, sort of balanced midfield Shakir is our, our most informed player, absolutely, but there's a real case not to pick him for any of the next three, which is mad. Mm. Um, I'd definitely pick him against Everton. Well, but there's, there's, I just, maybe I would, but I'm not sure what it does to your midfield. Do, do, do you know, just how you accommodate him is, is still a bit of a factor for me um, in ways that I think it's not quite the same for some other players who might not actually be at quite the same level that he's at at the minute. I think the beauty for him is he actually doesn't need to start games. He's mm. one of those players that can come on and yeah. by virtue of being so varied and so unpredictable in his game, can do all the sorts of things that, you know, some players need to start mm. to get in tune with the rhythm or to build chemistry and, and all those other things. But he, I think, thrives in an environment where he just comes in and he's like, okay, it's my game now. Prediction, scoreline, Mel. 
I'm going 2-0 Liverpool. Steve? Uh, okay, 2-1 um, to Liverpool. Ali? Oh, I was going to say 2-1 to Liverpool. Um, I'm still going to say 2-1 to Liverpool. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much to Steve, Mel and Ali. Thank you very much to Dan, to Francis, to Johns, Gibbons and Toshak. It's been your weekend. I hope you've enjoyed it. Sports Social Podcast Network.